0: Please take your Bibles and let's go to Genesis chapter 9. We are currently making our way through the book of Genesis on Sunday mornings. We are now in the early moments of the post-flood world. We've already seen Noah and his family and all the animals disembark the ark at the last half of chapter 8, and we spent three weeks in the last three verses of chapter 8 considering how Noah's first priority when he disembarks the ark, was to build an altar and offer sacrifice to God. You may recall last time that while Noah was in this attitude of worship, we saw God give a positive response. After God smelled a sweet savor, he said this in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. Well, this is interesting because before the flood, God recognized the evil heart of man. And after the flood, He still recognizes that from our youth, we have an evil heart. So what makes the difference in the response here, pre-flood, post-flood, it must have something to do with the worship of God. When God is not worshipped, there's cursing. When God is worshipped, there's blessings. So while the flood cleansed the environment, it could not cleanse the heart. What we find is that we have a heart problem. It can only be fixed by turning to Christ for salvation. And at this point in history, we understand now that Genesis 3.15 is still in effect. Noah was not the one. And we'll see that very clearly by the end of this chapter. The promised seed is still on the way, and when he finally arrived, he was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, willingly offered himself as the sacrificial lamb of God in our place. And in the process, He became the propitiation for our sins. We cannot save ourselves. But God can save us through Christ. And when we go to God for salvation through Christ, God, He will wash away every sin through the perfect blood of Christ. What a great song service. The price of our salvation has already been paid in full. For whosoever will call upon him Amen. have you received the free gift of salvation? Chapter 8 closes with God promising, "While the earth remaineth, see time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease." Now don't worry, I'm not going to get back on my soapbox in this verse. But you don't have to fear a global climate crisis. God says right here, it's going to continue as I have designed it to continue. We are not more powerful than God. I can feel me getting on the... Okay, well, let's stop. If you want more than that, go back and listen to last week's message. Wait, last week was Father's Day, so the week before that... Now, as we come to chapter 9 today, let's remember that chapter divisions and, and, and verse separations have been placed there by man to help us more easily locate passages. And, and thank God, even if, if we were having to all unroll our scroll and find where we were at, that would be most of the service. And so I say this because chapter 9 is a continuation of what God is saying at the end of chapter 8. Noah built this after altar, he offers a sacrifice to God, and and with that, look at what God now says in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 9. And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth, and upon all the fishes of the sea, into your hand are they delivered." Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it, and at the hand of man, and at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man." Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. And you, be ye fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. Amen and amen. Verse 1 begins with the conjunction and, which is functioning to hook up words, phrases, and clauses from the end of chapter 8. All right. If anybody is Schoolhouse Rocks, you get it. And, and this is important because I want you to see once again that God blesses those who worship Him. Last week, we saw how God's goodness overflowed while Noah was in the attitude of worship and God smells the sweet savor rising up from the sacrifice. God made some promises there. And in that atmosphere of Noah's worship, God promised He would not destroy every living thing again with a global flood. While the earth remains, it's going to continue to function. But what God said there at the end of chapter 8, He said in His heart. But now in chapter 9, God is speaking to Noah and his sons. So I want you to get this. The first act of Noah after exiting the ark, was to give a sacrifice to God, to worship God. And the first act of God to Noah was to bless Him. Now this can't be a coincidence. It seems clear to me that if we want the favor and the blessing of God, then we must worship Him. I talked last time what that looks like. That is not this... Okay, but, but it is kneeling Amen. your face down to the ground. That is worship of God. Yeah. Because that is you humbling yourself before an almighty God. And when we worship God, we can expect God to be pleased with that. Yeah. Because we need to give Him the glory due yeah. unto His name. God blesses those who bless Him out of a contrite heart. But if you want to be obstinate, if you want to be prideful and refuse to humble yourself before God and and worship Him, then don't expect the blessings of God upon your life. Why is it people want God to respond to them the very moment they desire Him to bail them out, but yet somehow it's okay that they haven't responded to God all the years that He has been trying to draw them to Himself. Now, thank God He's often gracious enough to help even when we haven't been worshiping Him like we should. Like He deserves. But God wants us to worship Him at all times. First Chronicles 16, 29, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come before Him... Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. How do we give glory to God that is due unto Him? Well, we bring an offering. What offering can we possibly bring under the new covenant? We bring Him our life. We present ourselves a living sacrifice that's wholly acceptable unto God. And then we offer the sacrifice of praise. So if you want the blessings of God upon your life, worship Him. Don't wait until your life is falling apart. But worship God now because He is worthy. Now let's consider this blessing that God gives to Noah and his sons in this attitude of worship at the altar of sacrifice. Look at what it says, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Well, isn't this an interesting blessing? (laughs) <laughs> Sounds like work. <laughs> we'll get to that. God's going to give this blessing three different times. We've seen the first one already in chapter 1 after God created Adam and Eve. He made man in His image and after His likeness. We read in Genesis 1:28. And God blessed them and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. We find the second time here in Genesis 9. It's stated twice here in verses 1 and 7. And the third time is when God blesses Jacob after he is converted and his name is changed to Israel in Genesis chapter 35. And so God gives this blessing after He finishes creation. Everything's perfect. God gives this blessing after the world has been cleansed. It's a new world in in a sense. And He gives this blessing after a man is converted to God. So what we discover is that this blessing is not given to the wicked. It is given to the righteous. Why is this? Well, remember in chapter 1, man was created in the image and likeness of God. And as 1 Corinthians eleven seven 7 puts it, man is the image and glory of God. So when God tells Noah, be fruitful multiply, replenish the earth, God is wanting man to fill the earth in order that His glory may be known throughout the earth. What a thought. And isn't this our primary purpose while we sojourn in this world below? It was the original purpose of man after creation in a perfect world. It's God's purpose in a post-flood world. He gives to Noah the same blessing He gives to Adam and Eve. And we are still under this blessing today. And immediately we should be struck with the thought in Psalm 8, 4, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Because even in our fallen state, God has not given up on us. Amazing. But in between these two bookends of verses 1 and 7, we are reminded that we still live in a fallen world. That sin will still persist. And so we find in this passage, verses 1-7, through there's both blessing and cursing. Something is missing in verse 1 from the blessing that God gave man in chapter 1. In chapter 128, God also told them, I don't know if you caught it when I read it, but He told them, subdue it. And that's not mentioned here in chapter 9. This omission shows the problem that Noah and the post-flood world will face. And it's not that God doesn't want man to rule, but now there will be a struggle to rule and exercise authority. In a perfect state before sin, the animal kingdom perfectly obeyed. God brought the animals before Adam and He named them. And even right before the flood, God brings the animals to the ark. And now things are different. The animal kingdom is not resuming its rightful place under the headship of humanity due to sin. And so God does not say subdue it, but instead He says in verse 2, the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth. And so man will still rule the earth, but now he will do so from a position of fear. Things are not as they should be. Amen? You see, it's hard for us sometimes to process this because this is normal for us. But this is not how God made it. This is not how God intended it. We we are living in a sin-sick, fallen world. And we can see the consequences all around us. But thank God for this terror, because it's an act of protection and mercy. Otherwise, the animals would easily devour us. Amen, Adrian? (laughs) What causes the wild animals to flee from man? Genesis 9 2. I've seen the videos of a guy, bears coming at him, he just goes, ah. And the bear goes, All right, dude, I'm out. (laughs) What? I had to say that for Adrian. She's terrified of bears, if you don't know. But, but still at the end of verse 2, it says, the animals have been delivered into our hands. Why else would a horse be bridled? Why else would an ox pull a plow? Both of those animals could easily kill us. And whether you know it or not, a deer could kill you. <laughs> what, is, what makes the deer run? I, the last trip I took, I stopped at a rest area because now I've got this condition where i got to get out and do this. Do yourself a favor. Never get a blood clot, amen? And so I stopped at this rest area, and I'm just walking around, and I've I've never really (laughs) walked around at a rest area. And there's like a a rock wall out there. I don't know if it was where that little chapel is in South Dakota in the rest area. Anyway, I get to this edge. No, it wasn't. But I get to this edge, and it drops off, and I'm just kind of standing there. You know, and I looked down, and there's a coyote down there. And the moment it saw me, it got up and ran. Now that thing probably could kill me, right? But it ran away. God said, "I will put the fear and the terror, the dread of you upon the animals." Now we know wild beasts do rise up against humans, but they don't do so unified. I mean, this is an animal farm, right? I mean. We... <laughs> they could do us a lot of harm. And when an animal happens to rise up because we are in a fallen world, in some cases, according to Ezekiel 14.21 and other passages, it's the judgment of God. Next in verse 3, we see another indication of the brokenness of God's original creative order. Because of the sinfulness of man, every animal is now allowed to be consumed by man. We know before sin, God gave man the plants and the fruits and the herbs to eat. And certainly before sin, there was no death. Therefore, no animals were killed to be eaten. Man was a vegetarian. How miserable must the perfect world have been? I'm only teasing. (laughs) Most believe this signifies that after the fall and before the flood, animals were not eaten by God's people. But that can't be proven definitively either way. So you don't need to start a new church over your position the first church of those who did not eat animals after the fall but before the flood. For those who are dogmatic that people did not eat animals after the fall, they need to consider how Noah knew the difference between clean and unclean animals. Was that only in relation to sacrifices or was that in relation to what was allowed to be eaten? Some surmise that after the flood, with all the changes that took place to the atmosphere, to the earth, that the production of the earth, the nourishment that it provides has now changed, and so God now authorizes the eating of animals. Here's what we know for sure. Before sin, no animals were eaten because there was no death. After sin, before the flood, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. After the flood, God clearly authorizes man to eat all the animals. Under the law, God differentiated between clean and unclean. And bless God, today I can go to the restaurant and I can have a sampler of cow, pig, chicken, shrimp, lobster, crab, Amen. And I can do so with a clear conscience. Whoop. Come on now. If you're not going to take a lap, take a lap there. That's it. I'm with Paul, told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.4, For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. Somebody said, I would never eat that. You've never been hungry enough. Now some do see a provision here in verse 3 that when it says every moving thing that liveth that the thought is don't eat an animal that has died on his own or has been killed by another wild beast. In other words, don't eat roadkill. I had the unpleasant experience of eating roadkill once. I didn't know about this command. Get off my back. I was in survival school and it was winter and somebody hit a deer and so we went over there and carved the thing up and ate deer. I was surviving, amen? Let me tell you, it was delicious. Now in verse 4, there is a definite prohibition. Eat all the animals you want, but don't eat their blood. Why has God always been so concerned about the blood? One reason given here is because it's the life of the flesh. But we also know that blood is an offering for sin. Leviticus 17.11, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for your soul. And so God here is preserving the importance of blood sacrifices. By the way, God's the one who started this in the Garden of Eden. And it was continued by Abel's and others, no doubt, which believed and followed. And then we saw it was continued by Noah. Later, it would be commanded by God under the law, where it continued under the Old Covenant eventually, hallelujah, it was fulfilled in Christ, amen, amen, under the new covenant. And by His life's blood, we can have the gift of life and the forgiveness of sins. Amen. And by the way, this prohibition of not eating blood continues under the new covenant. As the Gentiles were coming to Christ in great numbers, the apostles commanded them to abstain from blood in Acts 15. Because God doesn't want us to lose sight of the power of the blood either. Amen. It is is the salvation of sinners. Well, I could stay there all day and we've already sang about it. But we see there will not only be discord between animals and humans, but in verses 5 and 6, we see there will also be discord amongst human beings. Hey, look, murder is now a reality. The first sin recorded after taking the forbidden fruit was murder. When Cain killed his brother Abel the taking of the forbidden fruit, it may have seemed like a small sin. It's just a little thing. No, but how quickly we see how deadly and how deadly the consequences are of sin. In, in one jump, they made the leap from taking something God said don't to killing somebody. This was not a progression. This was not, I can keep this under control. Oh no, it went straight to murder. Don't underestimate the sin that you're capable of. Interestingly enough, God, He did not require Cain's life. God judged him, but He did not kill him. In fact, He didn't want any others to kill him. He put a mark upon him. But the problem was, man does not fear God's judgment. Because Lamech comes along and he kills people and he brags about it. And by Genesis 6, what does the Bible say? The whole earth was filled with violence. In the post-flood world, God requires death for the murderer. God does this by establishing human government. This is the beginning of human government. Man may not fear God, but man never yet hated his own flesh. And God instituted capital punishment where the wicked could be dealt with. And while that penalty may seem harsh to some of you, it's better than living in a Genesis 6 world. And so Genesis 9 is meant to prevent Genesis 6. But listen, whether you like hearing this or not, a departure from the death penalty by a society is a departure from God. Amen. Right. It's a departure from the rest that He wants us to have against the effects of sin. Yep. Amen. God hears the blood crying out from the ground, and God wants the land to be cleansed. I'm not being harsh. And so what we find is that God is the one who has ordained government and capital punishment because government is meant to punish evil doers. Romans 13, verses 1 through 6, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth, resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Listen to this. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. In other words, follow the laws. You live a good life. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have the praise of the same. For he, the rulers, is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath Upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this cause pay we tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. And immediately you're thinking, when do we disobey government? The moment it breaks our conscience with God, the moment it violates his word. I'm not going to revisit 2020 all over again, but you know what has happened. And you know whether or not there's a time to disobey. 1 Peter 2, verses 13 and 14, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him. Why? For the punishment of evildoers. Now, Peter wrote that. That's a man who tried to, kill off a, tried to kill a servant of the high priest. He tried to kill an official. Yeah, right. <laughs> and now he's saying, no, listen... Obey. Government is there to punish evildoers. Clearly, God's purpose in in establishing government is to punish the evil. Just consider the preamble of our Constitution. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. I mean, it's the same thought. And by the way, our founders' main source when they were framing our nation, was the Bible. Amen. They cited the Bible more than any other work, Amen. by far. And when they weren't citing the Bible, they were citing men like Baron Montesquieu, William Blackstone and John Locke. And these were men who said, "We got our principles from Bible." Amen. Anyway, it's not the Fourth of July. come back. Now, I know some may not like hearing this either, but even if we corrupt our government through sin, it is still a divine institution from God. John 19, verses 10 and 11, Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest not that I have power to crucify thee and power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, I exhort therefore that first of all supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority. Why? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Do you pray for our leaders? Better yet, do you pray for them more than you complain about them? I'm guilty of complaining. I like it but am I praying for them? Don't complain if you're not praying. If we want quiet and peaceable lives, we must pray for our government. It makes me wonder if we cease to pray. Because I don't know about you, but we're losing our liberties. When a governmental body ceases to recognize God, it will eventually become totalitarianism. It'll be tyranny when a government removes God, you no longer have government at that point. And there's enough history to know that this is true, and, and soon, unfortunately, you may have to look no further than America. Our nation has been rejecting God, and look at what we are witnessing today. This is a result of humanistic thought that has been propagated in all areas. We used to say it was confined to academia and the upper learning, and it's everywhere now. And now wickedness seems to be prevailing. You say, what is humanistic thought? I'm God. You can't tell me what to do. And sure enough, you can't even tell me what gender I am. Humanistic thought. The only hope for our country is a return to God. We need a nationwide revival. That's why it starts with God's people. We sing it almost every Sunday night, 2 Chronicles 7.14. And if my people, God says, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Well, at the end of verse 6, we see why God requires the life of a murderer. For in the image of God made He man. In Genesis 1, the image of God was given as a celebration. And now in Genesis 9, the image of God is given as a warning against murder. Look at how far man has fallen. These verses are a sobering reminder of our sinful fallen state. But we also have the glorious reminder of our job to make God known in the earth. And as we come to verse 7, we see God has come full circle. And He now tells Noah again, Be ye fruit, fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. As has already been stated, mankind is in the image of God and we are told twice that we have a mission as the bearers of God's image to make God known in the earth, to feel the earth. Now this blessing... Back to, back to this being work, this blessing of God is not something we get from God as we would salvation, our family, just goodness in life, right? This This blessing from God is what we get to do for God. We get to do this for God. It is our privilege. It's one of the greatest blessings because... It gives us a sense of purpose and direction. Listen, stay with me. I know i got to close. Wake up. Your body, your body can, can just persevere here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Noah didn't just get off the ark with a thankful heart for being spared from God's wrath and then flounder, wondering what in the world am I supposed to do. But God blessed him with a sense of purpose and direction. Amen. This is why you don't let your kids sit around being lazy bums all day. Where's my other one? Oh, he's with that woman. I still don't see him. I don't know. No? Oh, he is in the sound room. I only saw Mr. Kirby. Oh, he's getting in brownie points with the new father-in-law to come. Okay. Okay. I'll show you what I do at church. God says, go into all the earth. Make me known. Isn't it interesting that at the Tower of Babel, they said, let us make us a name so that we won't be scattered in the earth. What? Why were they concerned about being scattered throughout the earth? Because they were in rebellion to God. God said, I want you to go. And they said, we're not going anywhere. Now I'm closing I want to quickly show you how this mandate to fill the earth with God's glory is currently being worked out under the new covenant. Please quickly go to Colossians chapter 1. And I'll keep saying the word quickly so you think it's going fast. (laughs) Real quick, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, look at what it says here beginning in verse 3. We give thanks to God and the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the world of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. You remember what Jesus said in John 15:16, "Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go forth and do what? Bring forth fruit." And that your fruit should remain. In other words, Jesus is saying, "Go forth, be fruitful and multiply in the earth." Are you with me? What did Jesus say in the Great Commission? "Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel." We see here in verse 6 that the gospel came unto them bringing forth fruit. The gospel is fruitful, it multiplies, and it's going throughout the whole earth. Therefore, this mandate that we've been studying this morning in Genesis 9, bearing fruit, multiplying, filling the earth, is being worked out practically in us through the propagation of the gospel. The blessing to be fruitful and multiply, which was first given to Adam after creation, later to Noah after the flood. It is being worked out in the increase of the gospel throughout a broken world. Now listen to me. I'm going to bring it home. If you want to be faithful to the mandate, then you must make your life all about the gospel. Study His Word and share it. Love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Anchor your life in the Gospel. It is to be our way of life. And if we do this, God will be glorified in the earth. God wants, God deserves to be glorified. And He has chosen mankind through the miracle of the new birth and the working in us to what? Restore us into the image of Christ in verse 15 here, I don't have time to get to it, is the image of the invisible God. Christ is the perfect bearer of God's image and He made His glory known in the earth. And then we're told in chapter 3 of Colossians, don't go there, put off the old man and put on the new man. Why the new man? It is renewed in knowledge after the image of Him that created Him. Put on God's image, if you will. Go forth into all the world. Preach the gospel. Be fruitful and multiply. This is a blessed mandate by God for the righteous. Mercy, I want to keep preaching. Are you doing this? Are you spreading the gospel? Are you being fruitful and multiplying? That someone can be made into the image of God. Wow. We won't be able to accomplish this fully in the manner God originally intended because we're still living in a sin-filled world. But there's coming a day after the Lord's return when this will be fully realized. Habakkuk 2.14, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What a day that will be. But for now, how are you doing in fulfilling this mandate to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth? It's not about being a parent of as many children as possible. Right? Physical children. But it's about leading as many possible to God through Christ to be born again, receive the new man which is created after the image of God. So in closing, is the gospel your life? Are you being obedient? Are you multiplying and being fruitful? Are you bearing fruit of the gospel? Let's pray.